Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hello and happy new year. It's Erin. It's going to be a solo cast today. Um, We're actually switching over to a weekly schedule, effective today. Um, Some of that is per your request. And some of that is just because we've got a lot of good content that we want to we want to push out there to you guys. Um, And we actually changed the release day. So it's going to be Thursday mornings instead of Wednesday mornings, um, just because my schedule shifted a little bit. So look out for a new podcast episode every Thursday. And as always, if you haven't subscribed, definitely subscribe. And if you like the show, please, please, please leave a iTunes review for us because it's super important to help get the word out. Um, And that's the best way to spread the show around is by leaving a star review. So you click on the stars, but then also a written review as well. That's really beneficial for us that we get a lot of awesome feedback from you guys saying that um, you love the show and wish more people could hear it. This is the way more people can hear it. All right, cool. Um, Since it is a solo cast, I was going to record this a few days ago and I just kind of uh, got too nervous. So so here we are. I'm recording it the day before I release it. Um, I don't know why nervous, just anxious to talk about some of this stuff, but um, hopefully it resonates with you guys and you enjoy it. Um, As a reminder, Carb Compatibility Project starts January 7th, so that's next Monday. I've been getting tons and tons and tons of questions about this. And as always, I'll link to it in the show notes. You can find a lot of information on the website. Um, I think sometimes people actually fail to go to the landing page and they just want to ask me the questions, but go there first because chances are um, your questions will be answered there. But for questions beyond that, I am going to do a Facebook Live tomorrow night, maybe even an Instagram Live if I can pull it off. I've never done a back-to-back one. But um, Thursday, so that's tomorrow night, January 7th, and it's going to be at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you have questions that you want me to answer, you want to learn more, you're not totally sure if this program is right for you, be sure to check those out. Um, and I think that's all I've got for housekeeping right now. We are we are in in the new year. It is 2019. How crazy is that? And we're through that weird, awkward gap between Christmas and New Year's at like no man's land. We're like, there's no time and there's no space. I actually love that. I had a really good, a really good break. I took a like a bona fide break off of work, like totally took some vacation time, which I don't do well, as we've talked about on the show before, and um, really settled into it so much so that I'm having, I'm having a hard time getting back into the swing of things, man. I'm like, oh, could I just have a few more days before I have to do any work? So maybe you guys are in the same boat. Um, something that has been popping up on my feed all week is, and keep in mind, I do follow a lot of anti-diet people on social media, uh, but the main message that keeps popping up is like, don't freak out about the food you ate. Like everybody stop freaking out about holiday food. Just like get over it, move on. It happened. There's no reason to freak out. And yay, First of all, I'm so happy that the rhetoric is starting to finally change a little bit. I mean, that might be more of a function of who I choose to follow on social media than it is of the conversation at large. But still, it's definitely a small victory. So awesome. And of course, I completely agree with that sentiment of just like, 
moving on. And Kyle and I say that all the time around the holidays, like enjoy yourself and move on. But I will say, and I'm speaking to anybody that might follow some of those um, anti-diet people, sometimes I find that the anti-diet movement tends to put things in two categories and it makes things very black and white. Like either you're going all in, eating all the food, or you're restricting. And I understand that to make a point, you sometimes have to do this. You sometimes have to make things seem more binary because our brains just seem to respond better to that. And actually, if you're in recovery from an eating disorder, you you actually might have to make things that binary. But I, I think for many of us, we also have to make space for the fact that there's some gray area here, right? Certain foods can make us feel like crap in this time of year. Our schedules get wonky, our sleep is off, we may be drinking more booze, we're around people and family that we don't always see, there's probably more travel, and we definitely eat foods that don't normally make it to our plates. And so all of these things combined can make us feel kind of yucky and kind of off and a little bit weird. And it's not always the diet mentality that's making us feel subpar, sometimes it's just simply a deviation from our norm. And of course, this isn't about feeling guilty or feeling bad for going all in on the sugar cookies. This is simply saying like, and acknowledging, hey, I'm off my schedule and I just want to get back to some more normalcy. Um, And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to feel that way. We definitely tend to eat a lot more sugar and refined carbs during the holidays. And when we eat a lot of sugar and refined carbs, we tend to crave more sugar and refined carbs. And if you're eating these foods once in a while, it's not a big deal. But then strung together over the course of several days or even several weeks, well, that's maybe enough to hijack the appetite regulation for some of us. It sure is for me. If I if I'm eating more sugar and processed carbs, you know, even for a week, I get I feel totally thrown off and I just want more of those foods and I crave less of the stuff that I normally eat. Um, you know, the anti-diet movement is pretty big about saying there is no addictive foods. And it's like this belief that once you remove the restriction and you remove the food rules from yourself, then food loses its power and you can easily moderate your food intake. And there's a lot of truth to this. Removing restriction is really the first step to feeling um, better and having more peace with food, no doubt. But I actually disagree with the whole food is an addictive thing because heavily refined and processed sugar and carbs actually do disrupt appetite signaling in our brain and they negatively impact blood sugar regulation. And both of those things can make it difficult to gauge your true hunger. So it's like, am I having these like crazy cravings or am I just really hungry? And and it becomes harder to do when you're eating a lot of this refined food. It's, it just is true. Um, and then it leads us to eating more of that same food. And I, I can certainly speak from personal experience here. Despite being at least a decade out from eating disorder recovery, when I'm eating more sugar and refined carbs, I have a very hard time putting the brakes on those foods. I just want more and more and more of them. And I find that to be true with many of my female clients. So again, it's not always so black and white. It's not always like lump things in categories of bad and good, we have to make space for that gray area. And it doesn't mean that you can never ever eat these foods and enjoy these foods, but just understand that they may impact you in this way. And that's that's okay, but just get what's going on. Um, so you don't freak out about it when it happens. You just understand what's happening and know that there are some tweaks you can make. And I did write uh, an entire blog about this. So if you're still feeling that way now, just like out of sorts and like, what do I do? And like, I don't feel normal and I want to feel normal. Just head over to my blog. I'll link to it in the show notes, erinholthealth.com. And you can read my five tips to return to food normalcy. So these are the five things that I always personally do to just like knock it off. Like I don't need to keep making more baked goods. 
and just eating them for the sake of eating them, here's what I do instead. Um, and if you are looking to get started on a more structured plan, be sure to hop in on January's Carb Compatibility Project because you'll get access to the prep week as soon as you sign up. So you can, like if you're listening to this now, you can go to my website, sign up, and you will have immediate access to the prep week. And that's one way to just start getting yourself like back to some normalcy right away. Um, so anyway, I do think it's fine to feel like this time, right, this cusp of the new year, um, it's normal to want to shake things up a little bit or at the very least get back to baseline. And if you're feeling that way, I don't think it means you're a slave to diet culture. Uh, you guys know I talk out about diet culture often and Personally, I've had to do a lot of internal work evaluating my own belief system. So when like a feeling like this pops up, like, oh, shoot, I got to change something. I have to ask myself, is this just cultural programming telling me, oh, it's January 2nd, so that means you need to go on a diet? Or is it just me feeling like I'm off in my body, I'm off my schedule? Um, and it requires being really honest with yourself. But sometimes it's just as simple as I ate like crap, I feel like crap, and I want to not eat crappy things anymore. And just don't overthink it. All right? Be cool, honey bunny. All right. So this does bring me to the topic of New Year's resolutions. I put up a poll on Instagram asking if people were for or against them. And most people, the majority said they were against them. Didn't didn't really, weren't really into them. So that's kind of interesting. I kind of think people are just burnt out on the whole New Year, New You message. I think some of us are probably starting to wake up to the idea that it's not so much about creating a whole new you, but maybe rather learning to love the you that's already here. And I think that's kind of a worthy resolution, right? To be kinder and gentler and more compassionate towards yourself and stop trying to fix and change yourself every year, you know, just saying. Um, new Year's morning or New Year's Eve morning, I Hattie woke us up to go to the bathroom and at 4.30. And then she went back to sleep and Scott went back to sleep and I just could not fall back asleep. 4.30 is like aggressively early. We're early risers, but like 4.30 is like still kind of nighttime. Um, so they went back to sleep and I was just like sitting there staring with my eyes open. I'm like, I might as well just go downstairs and sit by the fire and sit by the Christmas tree and have some time to myself because that never happens. So I did and they didn't wake up till 8.30. I don't even know the last time that they slept till 8.30, but they woke up at 8.30. So I had four hours to myself <laughs> New Year's Eve morning, which is amazing because I got to do, it was like really a gift, I would say, because I got to um, do some of my favorite things that I like to do at this time. Uh, last year, I shared one of my favorite New Year's rituals on my blog. Um, I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes because it's really good stuff. I revisited it this year and I'm like, oh, I just love this so much. Um, and there's obviously, there's no specific time you have to do this. So it's not too late. Even if you're listening to this, you know, a week after New Year's, you can still do all of this. Um, but when it comes to to resolutions, I think the one thing I would caution anyone against is creating a resolution that basically just adds another thing to your already too full to-do list, right? And maybe that's part of why we're rebelling against New Year's resolutions. It's like, I have enough to do. Give me a break. Because it's like just placing another obligation on top of a life that's already filled with obligation, on top of a life that's already filled with doing everything for everyone else, right? We're already exhausted. And then we're trying to build a new habit on top of a life that's already pretty chock full. So chances are if there's something new that we want to do or create, we first have to clear out some stuff from our lives. Like we have to make space for that new habit to come in. We have to make space in our lives for that new thing to come in. Right? Don't we? Doesn't that make sense? So January doesn't need to be this new year, new you time, but instead an opportunity or even a little portal to really evaluate what areas of my life are working? What areas do I want to keep? What areas do I need to let go of so I can, or things or tasks or obligations do I have to let go of so I really can create the life that I actually want to live? And that's really how I approached it this year. Um, you know, there's really nothing like major in terms of like 
anything I'm resolving to do, but really focusing on like what needs to be cleaned up? What needs to be taken out? So then it opens up space for other things to happen. Um, And I just want to say if you are embarking on any type of food, health, fitness, whatever type of regime, um, one thing that I do in my nutrition programs that I want to share with you, because I think it would be important to incorporate this, it's not just, hey, do this food plan. It's do this food plan while you evaluate the rest of your life, right? So like whether it's fueled and fit that you're doing with me or the CCP that you might be doing with me, it's not just like follow these food rules, but be brutally honest with yourself about the things that need to fall away. Like do it both. Do it all all in one fell swoop. Um, When someone walks away from one of my programs saying, I made myself a priority for the first time in my life, Honestly, to me, that's a way bigger victory than losing 10 or 15 pounds. So um, in today's show, part of what I'm going to get to some listener questions toward the end of the show, um, but what I'm going to do is explain how I'm doing that in my own life because I always learn best from other people's real life examples. Like I don't I don't want to I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want you to tell me how you did it in your life so that I can learn from you. Um so if you learn best that way, that's kind of why I'm sharing this uh with you guys. Um so it's it's just kind of I guess how it's showing up for me this year and what I'm doing about it. Um, Because this past year, I really paid attention to where I was feeling triggered. And, And what I mean by that is when I've noticed that my reaction to something is disproportionate to the actual event that's happening. Like I'm too easily overwhelmed by what's happening or the precipitating event. Um, And I think that's a really good gauge for a lot of us when in the moment we realize that we're totally overreacting or we just don't have good control of our emotions or we feel like irrationally angry. um, That can be a good indication that there's a boundary that needs to be set. And and remember, I'm just going to throw this out there because it's important to keep in mind that emotions aren't bad. They're not there to be avoided. There's nothing wrong with us for feeling an emotion like anger. There's nothing wrong with us for feeling like we're being overreactive. It's simply those that 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 uh, that emotion or that trigger is simply information. It's a clue that's like, hey, something's off here. Something needs to be assessed here. Something needs to be evaluated, and and probably something needs to change. So I've really been honing in on those moments rather than getting frustrated with myself for overreacting. I've been. I've been really paying attention and asking, like, what's happening here that's triggering me? So what needs to change? And I've noticed that there's definitely been some common themes, Um, some way too personal to share here, but the ones that I'll share, (laughs) um, even for me, but uh, the ones that I'll share here, hopefully you guys can benefit from. Um, This year, I've experienced some pretty significant business business growth, which is something that I've been working towards for eight years since I started Erin Holt Health. Um, But with that growth came some like, oh shit moments. Like, how do I hold this growth while also being present and engaged in my family, while also taking care of myself? And everybody listening to the show knows the same struggle. It doesn't matter if you're a business owner or not. We all deal with this same juggling act and the same balancing act. And I'll be honest, this year there were definitely some times where I was not so great striking a balance and the people in my life, the people closest to me in my life really pointed that out to me Um, and I had to have some tough conversations. But because I've been growing my business for eight years and involved in the community, like actually in real life face-to-face interaction with people like which is you know not always the uh the norm these days but um I, you know I taught yoga for years I I worked with local businesses to run nutrition programs so I've been out there I've been out there in the community for for almost a decade and people have come to know me on a personal level and they've known me for a long time and this is something uh, Kyle put it this way it's like some people feel like they have an all-access pass to Erin Like, oh, I've known her for, you know, I used to take yoga classes from her. I've done her program back in the day. Um, So therefore, 
like I can shoot her a quick email to like bounce something off of her. So I get a lot of personal emails um, and messages asking for my advice or my opinion on something, um, whether it's like, hey, do you think I should be taking this supplement or what's the best XYZ to do or like here's what's been going on, like, you know, sometimes down to like a full health history. Um, and in the past, I've always answered those emails for people. So I, I kind of set that expectation that I'm available for that um, because for a while I was. But with the business growth and the su- success of the podcast and um, like a bigger audience and a bigger reach, with that has come more of those personal emails, um, more people reaching out, asking for, you know, basically free advice, asking um, me to pick my brain. And it puts me in a, a very tough position because on the one hand, I truly want to serve people and I want to help as many people that I can. And I want to continue to spread my message. And if I have this knowledge, you know, I spend so much time and money studying and learning and 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 educating myself. And I want to share that education. That's why I invest so much of my effort or my energy into into education is so I can share it on a wider scale. But at the same time, if I spend my time answering all the emails or even meeting with everyone who wants to meet up for coffee to pick my brain, then I don't have as much time for my paying clients. I don't have as much time for my group programs. I don't have as much time for content creation. I don't have as much time to do this podcast. I don't have the time to do the work that actually pays the bills and keeps a roof over our heads. And I mean that quite literally because we had to buy a new roof this fall. Not the way you want to spend 10 grand. So annoying. Isn't it so annoying when you have to like cough up adult money? Like 10 grand for a roof? Ugh. Nobody cares about that. Nobody sees it. But at least our ceilings aren't leaking anymore, so bonus. Um, anyway, if, I, if I'm if i in devoting time to this, then I don't have time to devote to the things that like really have to get done. And that's when the wheels start to, to fall off the Aaron Holt health train. Because when I feel stressed out, when I feel maxed out in my business, I'm really not taking the time or making the time to take care of myself. And then I'm doing the same thing to my family, you know, and my friends. And so like my social life suffers and my family life suffers. And that kind of begs the question, what's even the point of running a successful business if I'm not taking care of myself and the people that matter most to me, you know? And I think there just comes a point in your business but also in your life, and the reason that I'm talking about this today, it's it's not it's not just business owners, although I know I have a lot of practitioners and business owners that listen to the show. This applies to non-business owners too, where you just have to make some decisions about what you can and you cannot do. What do you need to let go of in order to make space for what you want. Because you can't just keep layering on more and more and more and more. If you want to pull in new things, whether it's a healthy habit or financial growth or whatever, you have to let other things go. That's how it works. So if you set a resolution this year, just stop for a second right now and ask yourself, did you essentially just give yourself a longer to-do list? And if that's the case, how does that feel for you, right? Maybe it feels a little bit stressful or overwhelming. And hey, maybe that's why New Year's resolutions fail. It's because we're just like the levy eventually is going to break. Um, so instead, is there something or several things that need to be cleared out, certain things that you need to start saying no to before you embark on this new resolution. And of course, I'm making that sound way easier than it is. I know it's not easy because it's it's not easy for women to do this, um, especially when it's something that we've already been doing. We've, when if we've already set the precedent that this is something that I do, it's really extra hard to then say, yeah, I actually no longer want to do this anymore. That's so scary. And it's partly scary because we don't want to let people down. We we really don't, myself included. I never want to let somebody down. It is the worst feeling. And one thing I noticed this year um, for myself is how much we as women rely on being liked 
We rely on making others happy. Um, We avoid setting boundaries for fear of seeming bitchy. Uh, We rely on being of service to others in order to feel of value, right? Um, And we all sort of have this omnipresent sense of feeling like we owe people something. And that is for sure the case for me as well. Um, But I, I think it's this standard of high performance for everyone else that makes us burn out. Like we feel like we have to perform all the time for everybody else. And then we suffer because it's exhausting to do that. And I think that we can all collectively agree that we're burnt out, we're stressed out, we're strung out. Um, And I also think this is kind of the hallmark of a perfectionist is this, we want to overperform, we want to over deliver because we're trying so desperately to prove our value and our worth to other people. But again, that leads to burnout. And if we're burnt out, we can't show up and do the good work in the world that we want to do. And I can think of so many times in my life where I spun my wheels trying so desperately to prove to others how valuable I was, whether it was in school or it was in different jobs, only to to spin out and crash and have to completely bail. Um, it's It was a real big pattern in my life. Um, And then when I bailed, I felt so crappy about myself. And it was just like this really yucky cycle. And I've heard it said before, this this always sticks out in my head, that perfectionists make perfect quitters. And I think part of it is because we feel if we can't do something at max capacity, then we're not doing a good job. And then we quit, right? Because the weight of feeling like we're not doing a good job or we're letting someone down is just too much to bear. So anyway, um, hopefully some of this is resonating with you guys and I'm not just like speaking into the abyss. Like anybody, anybody, Bueller. So 2018 was the year, I don't know if this is true. I, I, I 2018 was the year that I realized how much I seek validation outside of myself. I, I've realized it before, but I think 2018 was the year that I was like, yeah, so I don't want to do this anymore. This doesn't feel good to me anymore. Um, and 2019 is hopefully going to be the year that I just quit that shit. I, I think it can be a really nice bonus when someone gives me a pat on the back, but I don't want to have to rely on that pat on the back in order to feel good about myself. And that really historically has been the case for me. Um, and I think that might have to be part and parcel with just being okay with disappointing people and letting them down. And it's not to say that I'm I'm purposely going out of my way to do that, but if it happens, I have to be okay with it. And I have to not feel like it's a personal failure or it's a reflection on my value if other people are, are disappointed. So all of this to say, um, I asked myself, all right, how do I safeguard my time? If I'm feeling a little bit burnt out right right now, how do I safeguard my time and my energy so I don't burn out? And so I can still do the work that I want to do because I do want to do this work. And if I burn out, then I cannot keep doing this work. And that sucks. Um, So the two rules that I set for myself in my business this year, one is, and again, I'm sharing this, um, you know, just so you can see how I resolved it. Um, And maybe I'll continue to touch upon it throughout the next year so you can see if I actually hold true to these things. Uh, But also, again, because I know I have other practitioners that are listening to the show and maybe you can benefit from uh, from hearing this. So the first one is no more meetings during business hours. And this is actually something that um, my friend Sarah Curry, she's the owner of Blaze Yoga Pilates in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, she read the book, The 4-Hour Workweek. I have not read it. I probably should. And uh, she got, there's two big takeaways she got from that from that book. And this was one of them. And she shared that with me. And she says, no longer do I meet with people during office hours, you know, during business hours to have coffee. I just don't do it anymore. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I sometimes feel like I have to have somebody else give me permission to make a decision sometimes. And that was absolutely the permission giving moment where I was like, oh, other people don't do this. Okay, like I can say no to the people that reach out to pick my brain. And, you know, like I live in Nottingham, New Hampshire. That's 
for those of you guys who are local, like it takes me a, a solid 35 minutes to get to either Portsmouth or or um, or Exeter, which are like the two closest bigger towns where I would meet anybody. So like by the time I get settled and parked, you know, it's like it's like a that's like a, a half of a day, you know, that's half of a day that I'm not able to to devote to my own work because I'm meeting with somebody else. And it seems kind of silly, but when they're strung together, like it's a lot of time that's gobbled up. And I was getting to a point where I was like, I don't feel like I'm being as productive as I could be. And it's because I was bipping all over the place, you know? So that's that's a rule. No more meetings during business hours. And then the other one is no more answering private emails to non-clients. And this was that was a tough one um, because it's something that, like I said, that I've done in the past. And these, some of these people I know, you know, I, I've known in in a you know previous phases of my life. So I don't want to just ghost people, but but I also, you know, if if I'm spending a lot of my time answering private emails, I'm being I'm being pulled away from from other work, and I just can't do that anymore. Um, so even though it's something I've done in the past. I gave myself permission to change my mind, you know, and we we have to give ourselves permission to change our minds. We have to give ourselves permission to reevaluate and to course correct if things are starting to feel off balance. And things over the past few months really started to feel off balance for me. So, and as a side note too, like that's part of the benefit of working with me privately is that you you know, as my, my private one-on-one clients, you do get that direct line in. But I simply can no longer offer that to any everyone. So anyway, that is part of my whole new year reevaluation, <laughs> where I'm going in the next year. But really more importantly, what do I need to do and what do I need to not do in order to get there? Um, so there we are. There we have it. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to address a couple of questions that I received through email. And honestly, this is something that I'm going to be doing moving forward because it's a way that I can still serve my audience. It's a way that I can still answer the question just on a larger scale. So like everybody wins. Um, So just a heads up to anyone listening, understand that if you do uh, if you're not a private client of mine and you do send me a DM or an email asking a specific question, I'm going to assume that you're submitting that question for the podcast and I will do my best to answer it here on the show. I'll have a little bit more time to do it if we're moving back to weekly shows, which is great. If it's a question that I don't want to answer or I don't feel comfortable answering it, I will save it and offer it up to a guest who might be more uh, appropriate, you know, be able to answer that question more um robustly, I guess. And remember that this podcast is a free resource for all. And here's the deal. If you've got a question, chances are other people have that same question too. And it's just a more energy efficient uh, way to address these things to a much bigger audience, right? Than to just like sit there by behind my computer and answer every single question individually all day long as they come in. So it's a win-win. I feel good because I feel like my time is being respected and you hopefully feel good because you're getting your questions answered. Good. Excellent. And one more thing I ha- I couldn't get out of this discussion without throwing like one more little snarky comment in. But if you're sending me private messages and you're not even taking the time to consume my free content, like if you read my blog or listen to my podcast or even just reading my um, you know, like Instagram posts, then then don't don't ask me a question privately. That's just taking advantage of me. It's not even remotely fair. I'll have some people be like, I couldn't listen to the podcast, but could you answer this question for me? <laughs> like, no, I can't. I'm sorry. I cannot. Or they'll ask me a question that I literally just posted about in an Instagram post. I'm like, oh, so you're just not, you're just not reading anything that I put out there? It's kind of like saying, listen, I don't want to use my precious time to consume the free content that you've already consciously laid out for me. I just want you to utilize your free time to spoon feed it to me for free. Come on now. Obviously, that doesn't apply to anybody listening to the show because right now you're listening to the show. So love you, cuties. Thank you for being here. All right. Let's get to the listener question. I'm going to take a water break. As a side note, I don't think there's anything worse than listening to somebody um, drink into a microphone. So I'm really hoping that you didn't hear that. It like skeeves me out so hardcore. All right. Here we go. Question. This is kind of a long one, so buckle up. 
I've been keeping a peripheral eye on what's going on with you, and you have grown in, oh, and have grown in increased interest in your CCP program. That's the Carb Compatibility Project. I've watched a few of your videos about it, and I'm considering now might be a good time for me to try it out. I just turned 49, and I've been doing keto since late September. Um, so let's see. October, November, December, that's three months she's been doing keto. I've lost a solid 10 pounds, which is exactly what I was hoping for, although another five would be great. But aside from the number, I feel less puffy and have what I assume to be less inflammation. Prior to keto, I was always a very, very occasional meat eater and also had very little, if any, dairy. Two things I considered positive aspects of my diet. Still, in the pursuit of giving keto a chance, I set that aside and started integrating a limited amount of grass-fed meats and organic dairy while still incorporating raw nuts, eggs from pastured chickens, and low-carb organic veggies. The best part of keto was that it broke my sugar habit, which is above all my drug my food drug of choice. I can take or leave meat, alcohol, dairy, pasta, bread, and cheese, but sugar, although it doesn't make me feel good, is a slippery slope for me. Overall, I feel keto has set me on a good path, but I think it's not exactly the style of eating that's best for me long term. I just don't feel like I have enough options for eating. I've always been good with the foods to avoid lists, but then I end up without options because I don't replace them with anything and end up eating the same basic easy things over and over every day. I just don't have time, motivation, or interest in researching and trying new recipes, so I end up being very limited in what I eat, which I know isn't nutritionally smart. My only concern with the program is that it looks as though it's a slow reduction of carbs, but since I'm already so low, I'd actually be increasing them if I did the program. Of course, that triggers my diet fear of slipping after I've made progress. Irrational, I know, but you get it. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Also, what are the costs involved, the program costs, and any costs like supplements, etc.? I did... Okay, that doesn't apply. All right, so that's the question. All right, so... My answer is, um, first of all, I'll address the cost of the program. It's $199. It's very clearly spelled out on my website. There's no tomfoolery going on there. Super straightforward on the website, $199 for four weeks. There are no required supplements. Each week I do focus on different topics. So every week there's a recording to listen to, there's a, a PDF to read, and then I do live um, Q&As every week. So usually with the theme of the week. And um, sometimes, you know, and those, 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 uh, Topics differ. Sometimes it's pre and post workout. I talk about gut health, adrenal health, hormonal health, thyroid, PCOS, whatever. But in addition to that, um, I'm answering questions, and some people do have supplement questions. So I'll field questions about supplements um, and as they relate to like what's going on in your body. But all of those recommendations are very tailored and they're very individualized based on symptoms and they're by no means a requisite of the program. So you don't have to purchase outside of the actual program itself. You don't have to purchase anything. Um, and again, program details and all other relevant information can be found at my website and I will link to the, the link, uh, the Carb Compatibility Project in my show notes. Um, all right. So for the rest of it, my first instinct was to tell her, yeah, this probably isn't the best program for you since you're already in ketosis and you've been that way for a while and you seem to be feeling well. Um, because she's absolutely right. This program starts off as moderate carb. Um, and, and moderate carb is pretty relative. I kind of spend a lot of time in the beginning explaining what constitutes constitutes high carb, moderate carb, low carb, very low carb, um, you know, what constitutes ketogenic diet, all that kind of stuff. But it's very relative based on people's current carb intakes. So some people come to the project and they're like, holy shit, this is low carb. Some people come to the project and they're like, holy shit, this is high carb. You know, it's completely relative. But we do start off at moderate carb. Um, and so for her, it sounds like she'd actually be bumping up her carbs in order to do the project. And the program is really for those interested in a low-carb diet or even a ketogenic diet, but they're unsure if it's right for them or they're looking for the safest, most appropriate way for them to approach it, the healthiest way to approach a low-carb diet. Um, and some people can get all of the benefits that they're looking for, reduced sugar cravings, weight loss, better energy, reduced bloat. They can get all of that without having to go all the way into ketosis. And that's an important note. Um, so if you are looking to go all the way to ketosis, 
The program will bring you there, but only if it's safe for you. And we have a lot of ways to assess along the four weeks whether or not it's appropriate for you, whether or not it will feel good in your own body. So um, if she's feeling restricted on her current diet, that's not okay, right? That is not okay. That is not sustainable in the long term to feel like, you know, even she's like, I'm feeling great, but, you know, like the first part of her email is like, these are all the benefits. But then the second part of her email is like, these are all the drawbacks. And if there's that many drawbacks to a diet, it's not the right diet for you. Um, she even admits it's not the style of eating that's going to be best for her long term, but she kind of feels like she's locked in because she had the success, right? She had the su success of losing weight. She had the success of reduced sugar cravings. So she's afraid to deviate from that. And you guys, this is so freaking common with a low carb diet because the number of women that come to me with this belief, it's honestly astounding. Um, and it's one of the main reasons that I actually created the CCP to begin with um, because I want to get to women before they get to this place. Because physiologically or psychologically, really psychologically, it can be challenging to backpedal your way out of a diet that you've had good success with, even if you know it's not right, like the right thing for me long term. Um, I have a lot of women come to me and they're like, yeah, so I am like – stuck with this low carb thing and I'm terrified to eat carbs or I started eating carbs and now I'm going like hog wild. I'm going crazy and I don't know how much is too much. I don't know where I fit in. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I had good luck with low carb. Should I stay low? You know, it's like it, there's a lot of um, craziness with it. So if I can grab women before this point, that's ideal in my head. But you know, we can certainly backpedal together through this program. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I have the program set up the way that I do, because you get to assess in real time how your body is responding. And I also work in that mindful and intuitive eating piece that's so important to incorporate because it helps you avoid that unnecessary food fear, right? It helps you kind of say, yeah, the food doesn't need to be in control, right? Like I can eat carbs or I could not eat carbs and like everything's going to be okay. And you really start to pay attention to your own body signals of like what's working best for you. Um, and I'll, I'll always say this, if you're on a diet and you're afraid that any slight deviation from the diet will totally throw you off course, that is not a good diet for you. Um, and I feel like if I could like bold that, underline that, put it in red right now, I would uh, because that's an important thing to note. Um, and then another issue that I see is in this, it sounds like this could be the case for her, is that people stay unnecessarily low carb. So in order to enter ketosis, you have to be very low carb and high fat to get there, to make that that transition for your body, right? You have to combine extremely low carb with extremely high fat. But once your body becomes fat adapted, once your body starts to utilize ketones instead of looking for glucose all the time, some people can get away with, a lot of people, quite frankly, can get away with adding in more carbs and still maintaining ketosis or even still maintaining all the benefits that they got from, from the ketogenic diet. So I see people, you know, women specifically staying locked into this very low carb diet unnecessarily. It's over restrictive. You know, you're not getting enough variety and this can can become problematic long term. Um, you know, and she even admits she's not getting enough variety in her diet. She knows this. And we know that this lack of variety can be damaging to the gut microbiome. Um, it can restrict nutrients, which leads to a whole host of problems. So we don't we want to avoid that. In my opinion, the best way to approach a low carb ketogenic diet is to have a <laughs> a crap ton of variety, um, which is why I I baked all of that into the to the, the project. Like there's a lot of variety within it. Um, and I get the whole like not wanting to take the time to figure out new recipes and try out new things, you know. And so for those people who just like to follow a meal plan, you can just do that. You know, you can just do that with the program. And for people that like a little bit more freedom, you could also do that as well. So it really fits like whatever you're, whatever you're trying to do. Um, but anyway, that's a big, the lack of variety is a big problem with a keto diet if you're not approaching it properly. 
So on the one hand, I think that low-carb keto diets uh, can be very therapeutic for some people, um, but they also have the potential to be unhealthy and even psychologically damaging. And this is the point where you have to get honest with yourself and you have to say, like, is this healthy for me? And I don't mean healthy, um, you know, from like a blood sugar regulation perspective, but from like a mental perspective, is this healthy for you, right? be honest with yourself. Um, And I think there's just a lot written in between the lines of her email. She's saying that it's not sustainable. She feels restricted. There's not enough variety. But at the same time, she's also afraid to change. And of course, I can't tell anybody what to do. But from the sounds of things, I think the CCP would be a good experiment to see how she feels um, with bumping up the carbs a little bit and then working her way back down. Um, All right. Next question. I had a um, hang on, guys. I lost the question. Here we go. I had a stem cell injection from a hip joint, and this doctor, who is someone I really respect, recommended a very low sugar diet like keto for anti-inflammatory reasons. For the past seven weeks, I have been following it and feel pretty good. What do you know about it? I would love to hear your opinion since you research so much of this stuff. Good news is that my hip joint is a lot better. All right, so I did write back to this woman and I sent her to the, this podcast because we've already talked a lot about sugar and low-carb diets. So you can go check those out um, I, you know, by the episode title. But one thing I want to address here in this show is that there can be a big difference between low sugar, low carb, and keto diets, right? There are three totally different things. Um, sugar and blood sugar spikes do promote inflammation in the body. And inflammation is a bad thing because it's essentially the root of all illness and disease. So an anti-inflammatory diet is a smart bet for every single person. Um, But simply removing refined sugar, you're already moving to a less inflammatory diet. And for some people, removing refined sugar and refined carbs, like cookies, breads, crackers, all that kind of stuff, it's all they need to do. Not everybody has to take it to the extreme of keto. And I think that's one of our issues with the way that we look at food. It's so extremist, right? Either we're eating the standard American diet and we're housing like pasta and chips, or we're eating zero grams of carbs. And that's just such a silly way to think about things because there's so much wiggle room in between. And again, another reason why I created the CCP the way that I did you don't just dive first into a zero carb diet. That is so crazy to me that people do that. And it's really good way to make yourself feel like crap. Um, and, And to be clear, a ketogenic diet is one that puts you in nutritional ketosis. And being in ketosis and producing ketones can be anti inflammatory. But the real question is do you personally have to go to that extreme for the anti inflammatory benefits? right? Some people need to be in ketosis for health reasons, but really not everybody. Um, A keto diet is a very low-carb diet. It's below 20 to 50 grams of carbs a day in most cases. So a low-sugar diet is not necessarily the same thing as a keto diet because you can eat 150 grams of carbs a day and you can still be eating a low-sugar diet, right? That's not a low-carb diet, but it could potentially be a low-sugar diet and it still could potentially be anti-inflammatory. Um, And I also think it's important to note that an anti-inflammatory diet isn't about, it's not just what you're not eating, right? It's also what foods, it's not just what foods you're taking out, but also what foods you're adding in, what foods you're consuming, what foods you are eating. And I think sometimes um, we forget about that. We're like, what foods do we have to take out in order to be healthy? And, 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 you know, even the the original email kind of touched upon this. Like she said, she's really good with yes, no lists or like foods to remove lists, but then she's not so good about replacing those foods. And, you know, you can't do that. You have to, you have to focus on the foods that you are eating and make sure you're putting healthful foods in place. Um, so from an anti-inflammatory standpoint, you, you've got to be eating plenty of antioxidants. You've got to keep your gut microbiota happy. And those are all major components to my CCP. So like when we think about low carb, we also have to think about, you know, it's not just about removing the carbs, but like, what are you putting in, in place? Um, and you know, I'll say this, keto is kind of the the sweetheart diet of the moment. So there's a lot of practitioners, good practitioners that are recommending it, but just because it can help some people does not mean that it's necessarily right for you. 
right? We know that. We know that to be true. So just keep that in mind because keto isn't for everybody. And the main, you know, if you are thinking about attempting a ketogenic diet, I believe that you should you should do my carb program. And I'm not saying that as a hard sell because I've been on the internet and I see what people are saying on the internet. Keto, internet keto is no place to be. <laughs> my friend was just texting me earlier today or voxing me earlier today talking about like how her friend was sending her like keto recipes with like Hellman's mayonnaise and like cheese and stuff. And she's like, what is even happening? You know, you have to be conscientious of the food that you're eating too. It's not just about removing the carbs. Um, so with this program, you you might go all the way keto, but you might not need to, right? And how freeing is that to know that you could get all the benefits, but without having all of the restriction? Um, and how you would know when you've reached your carbohydrate sweet spot is that you, you'll have better energy. You'll have no hanger, right? Your hunger is reduced in that hanger is gone, that feeling of like, I'm going to claw somebody's face off if I don't eat right now. Um, sugar cravings gone, your pain will be reduced. These are all good indications that it's working for you. So keep that in mind. Again, my program does start Monday, January 7th. So you're going to want to get on that lickety split if you're listening to this right now. Um, and one more thing I want to say about the keto diet not being right for everybody, even though every Tom, Dick, and Harry is recommending it. Um, when I went to the thyroid seminar a couple months ago, there was a doctor, uh, Dr. Eric Dorninger um, out of Boulder, Colorado. I'm hopefully going to get him on the show. And he was bringing up the keto diet and how he recommended it for some of his patients. And I raised my hands and I was like, yo, what about ladies? You know, like, what about ladies? Because we were talking about hypothyroidism. I'm like, this seems like maybe it's not aligned, uh, f you know, for everybody. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Keto is not the place that I start for people. He's like, no, there's, you know, not, keto is not going to be right for everybody. He's like, I don't ever put my deficient types on a keto diet. And I was like, what do you mean by deficient types? He's like, hypothyroid, hypoglycemia, hypochlorid, chloridria, and hypotension. And um, hypothyroid, right? That's, we know what that is. He doesn't put them on ketogenic diet. Hypoglycemia, that's low blood sugar. So if you have issues with low blood sugar, um, I'd argue that one. I think that could, you know, you could get away with that a little bit. Hypochloridria, this is uh, low stomach acid, which I see a lot in my practice. And then hypotension, which is low blood pr pressure, which I also see a lot. And so there's these women, and I'm, I fall into this category, to be clear, who have underactive thyroid function, they have low blood sugar, they have underactive production of stomach acid, and they have low blood pressure. And like these are the deficient types that really shouldn't be placing any restriction on their diet whatsoever. So I thought that was interesting to hear a male doctor talk about that. And I guess that's what I'll leave you guys with um, for this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, my second ever solo podcast and got some good tips and tricks. All right. I never know how to close these things out. It's so awkward. I'm just going to say goodbye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you 